Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Um, not long got in from Emirates Stadium. Really, really late night edition of the podcast this. Um, ideally, I'd have liked to have waited until the morning to kind of gather my thoughts and and break this one down because obviously I've come home really, really disappointed. Uh, but I'm not around tomorrow um, and I'll be out for the whole day pretty much. And so um, what I wanted to do was make sure that there was something available to you guys, uh, some reaction from the Chronicles of Aguna podcast and something for you uh, to take in in the morning when you wake up. I mean, you come away from a game like that, you can't help but feel underwhelmed by the the overall level of the performance. You know, it's the, it's the festive period and you want to be turning up to games like this and it being a bit of a party and a bit of fun. I did say to you guys in the build-up, but I was concerned about this fixture that I thought West Ham United were the type of side that could give us a lot of problems, particularly with the way that I expected them to set up with the low block. Um, we know that they've got threat on the counter-attack. We know that the likes of Mohamed Kudus can pick up the ball and carry it up the pitch and buy them breathing space and time, but also impact games in the final third. Jared Bowen has been in excellent form. We know that they had that brilliant set-piece delivery from James Ward-Prowse. Uh, Lucas Paqueta, who obviously went off injured, is a top, top player as well. So I never took West Ham lightly, and I knew that we were going to have a, a tough night and that we'd have to be close to our best if we were going to take all three points. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be. And I think there's a lot of different elements to um, why we didn't manage to get anything out of the game in the end tonight. And we'll come on to um, some of those points in just a little bit. Let me say a few hellos, though, because um, we are live really, really late. It's gone midnight. It's nearly half past midnight here in the UK. So a big thank you to everybody that is with me on the live stream at the moment. Um, big hello to Sephiroth. He says, absolutely ter- horrible performance. We won't win a major trophy. Again, under Arteta, if he doesn't address the striker problem and drop Zinchenko ASAP. Uh, Victor says, greetings, poor night. Uh, Katana says, uh, terrible. We could have played until next week and wouldn't have scored. Final third decisions have been close to shambolic this whole year. Players on the left should have a good look in the mirror. I think you're right. We could have played until next week and we probably wouldn't have found the breakthrough um, tonight. Uh, Mike says, absolutely horrible night. Atmosphere was shocking. Real lack of urgency on the pitch. And the new roof that the club put my season ticket up for was leaking right on my head. Christmas ruined. Um, So people feeling pretty strongly about um, how tonight went. Christoph says, evening, Harry. Good evening to everyone. Tough defeat, simply lacking imagination, coupled with woeful finishing, while West Ham United were a well-disciplined unit who put in a full shift, deserving all three points. Evan says, what's missing, Harry? We just can't seem to get an opening or score. What the hell do we do now? So let me just say that I do think that some of the reaction to this has been a little bit over the top. I think that when you wake up tomorrow, with a calmer, cooler head, you'll probably look at it a little bit differently. I'm not saying that you won't be disappointed. I'm not saying that you won't be frustrated. And I'm not saying that you won't rue the fact that we've missed the opportunity to go back to the top of the table. But I I sort of come away from it. And I think, look, we've gone out there. We've put in a really, really dominant performance. And we've ended up in a situation where we've taken nothing from the game. If you was to play that game 10 times, Arsenal win nine of them, 74% possession, 30 attempts at goal. 
West Ham had 26% of the ball and just six attempts at goal all night long. So the point I'm trying to make is that I don't think this is about the overall performance. I, I think we were great in the middle third of the pitch. I think we were good in the other two thirds of the pitch at points. But when it mattered, we weren't. And this is where... You know, you get to a place where you find it actually quite difficult to pinpoint exactly what's gone wrong. Sort of coming away from the game and speaking to people on the walk back to the car, I've heard people saying that it's because we don't have a striker um, and, and putting it on Gabriel Jesus. Of course, he missed a couple of good chances this evening with his head. I've heard people saying that Martin Odegaard wasn't very good tonight. I thought he was probably our best player, actually. Um, I've heard people say that the decision to pick Leandro Trossard as part of the midfield was the wrong decision, a wrong call. I think there's a lot that you can kind of break down and you can analyse it. But the thing that tells me clearest that, you know, it isn't a simple issue here or isn't the one thing that has let us down is the fact that, is the fact that everybody's saying different things. And when everybody's saying different things, it means it isn't really that clear and obvious what exactly went wrong. Anyway, let's break down some of the key incidents in the game. Um, actually, before we go into the game, let's talk about the team selection. Because I said to you guys in the build-up to the game that I wouldn't have played Leandro Trossard. I said that I'd have gone with Jorginho. Easy to say with hindsight that maybe I had a point. Um, but the, the point I was making was that I felt that Trossard's lack of physicality coupled with the fact that he isn't a natural midfielder, was just going to upset the balance a little bit. Kai Havertz has done an incredible job of being that hybrid player, um, someone that joins in with the attack when we're going forward, but someone who can also play as a part of the midfield and, all, and do all the things that a conventional midfielder does as well, whilst putting himself about and using his physicality. I think having Trossard in the team tonight, it just meant that Declan Rice had to sit that little bit deeper. Now, I wonder if that was a deliberate ploy from Arsenal because of the threat that West Ham United pose on the break, or if that was something that Declan Rice took it upon himself to do because he was concerned about how frequently Trossard was going forward and his starting position at times, which was right out on that left-hand side. It was almost as though, particularly in the first half at times, I know he was trying to give us width and all that, but it was at times as if he had forgotten that he was playing as a left eight and that he just drifted into that position that he goes into so naturally. The first goal, um, obviously the cross comes in from West Ham's left-hand side, Arsenal's right-hand side, and Zinchenko is just over-covering. He's over-covering. Um, normally, we talk about him not covering enough. What he should be doing is trying to make sure that the ball doesn't make its way to Mohamed Kudus, but he just gets too close to Gabriel. And as Gabriel goes to swipe the ball away, his clearance ends up coming back off Zinchenko. The ball ricochets to the left-hand side of our goal. Jared Bowen, I think it was, tried desperately to keep the ball in. Um and and the goal was given on the field. Then it goes to the VAR. Now I have to say, and I'm I, anyone that was sitting near me tonight will tell you. I said it at the time. My instinct was that the ball had gone out of play. My instinct was that Jared Bowen hadn't managed to keep it in, and that this goal was going to be chalked off. When it went to the VAR, I thought we're fine here. Now, I'm not saying that I knew for a fact, because from the angle I was watching it behind the goal, really, really difficult to tell. But you kind of get an, a sort of inkling around these things. And, and just my instinct was telling me that I thought the ball went out of play. 
Then, you know, we get the lengthy VAR check as you do. And in the end, they come to the conclusion that actually there is no conclusive evidence that the ball has gone out of play. This is the image that is going around. Just have a look at this. If you look along the line, you cannot see a sight of the ball. Now, can I prove 100 million percent scientifically that there isn't a part of the sphere of the ball? You know, that nonsense we heard after the Newcastle game isn't in play. No, I can't. But stop overcomplicating it. It shouldn't be about trying to find evidence here, trying to find evidence there. You should look at that picture and decide what the decision is going to be based on that picture. Forget all this, oh, well, we've given a goal, so now we have to prove otherwise. That's not how this should be done. That's not how this should operate. And we spoke about it after the Newcastle game. The same thing. What you should do in a situation like this is you should review the evidence you do have. Stop obsessing about what you don't have. Review the evidence you do have and come to a decision based on that. If this picture had come up on our TV screens tonight, even West Ham fans would not have been complaining and saying, oh, no, that ball was in. No one would have complained. Everybody would have looked at that picture and would have decided that the ball has gone out of play. So, again, the VAR, the PGMOL, IFAB, the, the lawmakers of the game, they're all tying themselves up in knots by having vague, stupid laws that don't really make sense. VAR was brought in to help. You've got the angle there and it looks out. So why have you decided to give the goal? To me, it's just wild. And again, this is not an Arsenal thing. This is a this is a wider issue that the game has at the moment. And when you see images like that and you know what the decision was and what the outcome was, how can you have faith in them that they know what they're doing and that they're not just guessing at times. Now, I'm not saying this is the reason that we didn't win the game, right? There are far more reasons as to why Arsenal couldn't really lay a glove on West Ham United. And despite lots of huffing and puffing, we just couldn't blow their house down. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that that's the reason that we didn't win the game. But it is incredibly frustrating that we choose to go with a decision because of the angles that we don't have rather than trying to use the angles that we do have to help us get the right decision. It it went on for ages. I thought that they were going to chalk the goal off. They didn't. OK, you know, we, we, we got to fight back. And I actually thought generally in the first half, we played OK at times. I thought there were moments where we showed the zip and tempo that you need to break down a defence like that. But I thought there were moments where we just looked a little bit lacklustre, a little bit sloppy. Um, and, and the performance was a little bit frustrating. If I take it on um, and we talk about the second goal that Arsenal concede tonight. Now, this came because we were pushing really hard at the start of the second half. We ended up getting caught on a counter-attack. West Ham forced the corner. And from there, Gostandinos Mavrobanos, ex-Arsenal player, comes up with a header. It's a really good header, to be fair to him. Uh, comes off the bottom of the bar. Keeper's got absolutely no chance. Um, I've watched it back. And I watched it back in the stadium at the time on the big screen. And I thought, no, surely that can't be right. Surely that can't be the case. And I've come home and I've watched it again. And what do I see? I see a player who is incredibly powerful in the air. And granted, West Ham have a few of these players, so it becomes difficult to pick up every single one of them. 
Um, you know, you can't, for example, have Saliba and Gabriel marking the two centre-halves, Suchek, Edson Alvarez. You just can't do that, right? You know, you can put Declan Rice into that equation. You could probably usually use Kai Havertz as one of your big boys, if you like, in those kind of situations. But I just found it astonishing that there was a couple of big, powerful West Ham players hanging around at our far post. One of them was Mavropanos. And what he manages to do, well, not that it's hard, is that he just diverts his run inside. And as he goes across, he just almost flicks Zinchenko off him as if he, uh, a fly has just landed on him. He just flicked him away, makes a dart across the near post and turns in a brilliant header. That's way too soft. And I'm not sitting here trying to dig out Zinchenko as an individual because I think there were a lot of players that you know, just weren't quite at it tonight. But for a long time now, we've been talking about Zinchenko's defensive deficiencies. We've been talking about where you know he could improve and, and where he has at times been a problem for us. And the kind of constant comeback that I always get from people is, well, but the thing is, he gives you so much in the build-up. The thing is, he goes into midfield and he makes things happen. And he's really responsible with the ball at his feet and he helps us build out from the back. And I myself have said those things in the past too. But at this moment in time, we're not really getting that from Zinchenko. What we're getting is someone who's been in recent weeks, in my opinion, far too casual in possession someone who's not affecting the game from those inverted positions and someone who is constantly a defensive liability. Now, I don't expect Zinchenko to beat Mavrobanos in the air, but he's got to be stronger than he was and he's got to compete better than he does. And so again, whilst I'm not sitting there saying that this is a, a howler and I'm not saying his part in the, the first goal was a howler, it was unlucky, but it's no coincidence, is it, that he's the player that's involved in the two goals that we conceded. And other than that, West Ham United offered very, very little. Gabriel Jesus had a couple of good headed opportunities. His performance, I thought, was a little bit below where I'd want it to be. And I'm not just talking about the finishing. I'm talking about his general play. But I also appreciate that he was in that box of the land of the Giants. You know, he had Ogbonna, Mavropanos, and then Suchek and Alvarez kind of boxing him off in this central position. He was trying to drift left and right at times to get more involved, but he wasn't really able to get on the ball as much as he'd like. And when he does go out into those wide positions, the first thing people say is, well, we've got no striker and there's no one in the box. So it can be difficult, can't it, for a player to kind of maintain his central position in between the posts where you want your striker slash poacher to be, but also stay involved in the game. We were pinging the ball into him at times, and at times he was battling and competing really well. But a top, top level finisher probably takes one of those headed chances, and maybe you're looking at a different game. I think some of the, the, the criticism that he's had online since the game finished has been disrespectful, because as much as I think that there are better cutthroat finishes out there and we've talked about that before I still think he brings so much to the side and I think he's a big part of why our level has elevated from a side that we're trying to get back in the Champions League to a side that people believe can compete for the title now he's been massive in that journey there will come a point maybe where we need to look at an alternative option and there will come a point maybe where you know people will say he's not the one anymore but at this moment in time I still think you know the the, the disrespect he gets at times is is it's just unjust and unwarranted. I think about what Mikel Arteta maybe could have done from the substitutes bench. Is there anything more that he could have done? 
Um, he opted to go with Trossard. I didn't really think that worked today. Um, but then I understand why people would have said that maybe Jorginho was too negative a selection. I just think he would have given us maybe a bit more control. He does have that ability to, um, you know, to pick out good defence splitting passes as well. Um, and, and you know, really impact the game in the final third when given the licence to do that. Um, but I also think that he would have been able to take the shackles off of Declan Rice. And that would be the main thing for me. And I think in a game against a side like West Ham, you can talk about guile, you can talk about technique, you can talk about vision. Sometimes you just need someone with a bit of power who's going to carry the ball and and attract players that way. And he's going to, you know, sort of draw people towards him. And then if he's got the ability to pop it off left and right, maybe that's how you create your space. That's how you create your chances. I think a lot of why we were lackluster tonight was down to weary legs, short, um, tired legs. You know, we gave an awful lot, I think, at Anfield um, the other day. And, you know, that can take its toll on you. And we didn't really have the personnel available to be able to shuffle the pack uh, and do it effectively. So, yeah, I think, you know, that that has got to be something that you, you factor into your analysis as well. Look, of course, it's incredibly frustrating that we've missed the chance to go top. Um, but again, I'll, I'll stick to what I said earlier. I think some of the reaction um, has been over the top and some of it has been disrespectful to a side that have given us some really good times, actually, over the last 18, 24 months. And, you know, you're going to lose football matches. That's how it goes sometimes. And you've got to accept that. And I think the, the criticism that Arteta's getting from some with regards to, to how he set the team up. Look, personally, I'd have put Jorginho in, as I said to you. But I don't think the decision to put Trossard in was criminal, for example. So I'm not going to sit here and, and sort of, you know, really hammer him for that. But you, you just you look at the Premier League table now and, you know, we've lost three games. Man City have lost three games. Liverpool have only lost a one, but they've drawn six. Uh, we're not in it. You know, we're two points off the top at the midway point of the season. And we've had quite a difficult Christmas period to play away at Anfield and then within a few days play a West Ham side that are doing really, really well at the moment, I think is uh, is taxing. And I think, you know, we've got that game away at Fulham coming up on New Year's Eve. We need to bounce back if we're going to make sure that we keep the pace. And I think that City are going to come good in the new year. De Bruyne and Haaland not far from being back as well, which is going to strengthen them significantly. So I do think that we've got little margin for error. But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, our title hopes are over now at the halfway stage in the season because we're two points off the top. Liverpool aren't infallible either. Neither are Man City this season, clearly, based on what we've seen so far. So, you know, sometimes you've got to accept that it just wasn't your day. Every ricochet was going their way. Every deflection was going their way. Nothing was dropping for us. I don't think any Arsenal player was particularly great tonight. But if I had to pick one out it would be Martin Odegaard for me I thought at the very least he was trying to make things happen he was trying to force the issue he was trying um you know to to make things happen at every opportunity he was trying shots from distance all the rest of it also a shout out to David Raya as well because he's been on the receiving end of some harsh criticism at times <laughs> the one night he makes like a, a really significant contribution i.e a penalty save 
which is a big deal for a goalkeeper. I think I've spilt my tea on the carpet. Shit, wife's going to kill me. Um, anyway, um, the one night he makes a, a sort of significant contribution, a penalty save, it doesn't even matter. Kind of just sums up his luck, doesn't it? Um, since uh, since he's arrived at the club. This is an interesting stat that Aaron's just thrown um, into uh, the chat. Tonight was the first time a team in Premier League history had 77 touches in the opposition box and failed to score. Sums up the game perfectly. If that's true, that's that's crazy. 77 touches in the opposition box. I think the other thing as well that I haven't really got to yet and, and I want to kind of wrap up on, there's a couple of points I want to wrap up on. I want to wrap up on how and why we missed Kai Havertz because I think that's important. Um, and I think tonight kind of shows you what he brings to the team and and actually proves those that have been sitting there saying, well, no, you know, he's not been very good and he's not been that effective. It shows you that actually they don't get what it is that he actually brings to the table, because I think tonight you could see it. And sometimes you don't understand what you have until it's not there. Right. Um, but West Ham, like, give them praise give them their credit you know it's, it's when you lose a game of football it's very easy to to grab onto the negatives and to run with that and to pick holes in your team's performance and to only be critical of your side without even giving a thought to the opposition but West Ham came there they executed a game plan to perfection Unai Emery took his team to Manchester United the other day 2-0 up and they threw it away. They ended up losing the game. David Moyes showed Unai Emery tonight exactly what you should be doing. It's not to dig out Unai Emery. I'm just trying to make the point of like, there are managers who have that experience, who have that, and Emery's very experienced, but who have that, you know, just a different outlook on the game and, and will apply a different approach. Moyes' side, when they went 2-0 up, you never at any point, you know, despite how good Arsenal have been in recent seasons, you never at any point doubted that they were going to see it out. Because they defended in numbers. At times, it was almost a six, you know, that four-man um, unit across the back in very narrow positions. They were happy to force Arsenal into wide areas, knowing and backing themselves to deal with any crosses that came into the box. But then they also had those two solid midfielders in Suchek and Edson Alvarez sitting in front of the back four, helping out. Everybody put in a shift for West Ham United. That's as good a defensive performance as I've seen at the Emirates in probably two years. So I want to give them credit as well. And I think it is okay to give the opposition credit when they do a number on you. It doesn't make you less of a fan if you say that. Yeah, we can look at and we will look at as Arsenal fans the things that we can do better. And that's what Mikel Arteta will do. And that's what his staff will do. And that's what the players will do in the aftermath of this. But it's also okay to look at the opposition and say, they done something really, really well tonight, and that was defend. And they got the rub of the green with the VAR call. They got the rub of the green with the way the two goals, particularly the first one, came about. But then when they had it, when they had it in their hands, when they had that two-goal lead and they had something to hold on to, they did an expert job of seeing it out. Just on the Kai Havertz thing, it's funny because um, when I was... Scrolling through Twitter as I was sort of setting up the stream a little bit earlier on, there were people on there 
who had mocked me weeks ago for talking about Kai Havertz and for saying, be patient with him. He's learning the role. He'll get there. Who are now on social media saying, my God, we missed Kai Havertz, didn't we? I mean, it's just laughable. Like you, you couldn't write it. People are allowed to change their minds, of course. But I never understand this kind of want and desire to really get on people's backs um, before they've even had a chance to prove themselves. And I think in Kai Havertz, we've got this player that can support the attack brilliantly and is contributing now with outputs. But we've also got a player that can muck into the midfield battle when he needs to and look at the difference in terms of his starting position between where Rice was tonight and where he was at Anfield. And that was at Anfield. But he felt that he had that little bit more license and he didn't have to sit as deep because he trusted that Kai Havertz could support in the defensive side of the game. He trusted that Martin Odegaard could do that. The minute you put Leandro Trossard in there, the whole dynamic changes. Could a Mill Smith row have started? I said to you guys in the build-up to the game, I didn't think that was a solution because of how little football he's played. Um, and, I, and I still believe that, you know, Mikel Arteta was right not to start him and was right to call on him from the bench a little bit later on in the game. But hey, look, it just wasn't our night. When you have that many attempts at goal, when you have that much of the ball and you don't win the game, sometimes you just got to say it wasn't our day. And it's, you know, it sounds like a bit of a cop out, but I think it was a combination of it not being our day, tired legs, West Ham being brilliant um, and us just not being efficient enough in the boxes. And, and Mikel Arteta has talked about that before this season. He knows that's an issue. He knows that's a problem. But there isn't a magic fix to this. There isn't a wand that he can wave that will make everybody better all of a sudden. If we go and beat Fulham on Sunday, happy days. We get back on it and we continue um, to, to compete and to challenge for the trophy that we desperately want come the end of the season. There's no need to massively overreact because it's not a fatal blow. It's not even close to that. It's a disappointing night in isolation, but it's important that we dust ourselves off and go again. Um, let's get some of your uh, questions. If you've got any questions for the last sort of four or five minutes of the show, I've got to get up so early tomorrow, as I say. Um, I'm going to be at a wedding uh, from, well, I've got to leave my house at about eight o'clock in the morning. Got a bit of radio work to do as well from 7 a.m. So, yeah, I'm going to be up from the crack of dawn. But as I say, I didn't want to miss... Uh, the podcast altogether and if I didn't do it um, now and I wasn't able to do it tomorrow Friday that is then you would have been waiting until Saturday which is just too far away from the end of the game isn't it um, Jay Sayer says oh come on we didn't lose because Havertz wasn't playing we've literally just stagnated as a team and we are going backwards I did not say that we lost just because Havertz was playing did I I said that I felt we missed him and I think that he him being absent impacted the, the dynamic and the balance of our midfield. And I think that's a fair and valid point to make. I didn't say that we uh, we lost because of him. We lost because of a combination of things. Um, Jovster says West Ham played well, but we missed open chances. Thus, it was an Arsenal to take charge, but failed to do so. Yep, goes back to the point I made about being efficient in the box. Um, Jovan says, do you think our wingers are elite I think they they have the potential to be elite. I think that Bukayo Saka's not been as effective this season as he was last season. I think he's got a problem at the moment whereby he is the centre of attention and he's facing two or three players 
instantly every time he gets the ball. Um, I do think he could vary things up a little bit. I do think he could take people on the outside a little bit more often um, rather than always looking to come in really early because I think he almost telegrams what he's doing and, and people read that and then they just get numbers in those areas and make it difficult for him. I think he is a great footballer, obviously, but I think he needs to find a solution to the problem he's facing this season. I'm not sure he's got that yet. So in the first half of the season, I'd say it's been good rather than outstanding like it was last season. And I feel like Martinelli is just struggling a little bit at the moment in terms of his decision-making. I don't think it's a confidence thing with Martinelli. I think it's decision-making and he's just out of form. And whereas if Havertz was available, if Vieira was available, if Smith-Rowe was fitter, you would have been able to take Martinelli out of the starting lineup and put Trossard out there. We're having to use Trossard in field, which means that Martinelli's having to play even through um, a difficult period. But yeah. Uh, Sephiroth says, uh, Sephiroth's been incredibly uh, negative uh, in the chat tonight. Uh, clearly not happy with tonight's outcome. He says, you were laughing at Unai, but he is next to us in the league and he beat us last week while spending significant money like us. If Arteta fails to win a trophy, when do we start to look at him? Well, Mikel Arteta is competing for the two biggest prizes this season. The Premier League and the Champions League. If Unai Emery's team go off a cliff and end up finishing sixth, you'll all say that's a good season because the standards by which Aston Villa are judged are completely different. If he goes and wins the Europa Conference League, you will say that he's had a great season. That's kind of the story of Unai Emery's career. In terms of the trophies he wins, it's always the bridesmaid rather than the bride. He's never the one. He never wins the, the biggest prize. He always wins the lower category prizes. And people say that that's fine and that's great because of the clubs that he's managed. I wouldn't accept Arsenal playing in the Europa Conference League. So I'm not going to sit there and say that Unai Emery's done an amazing thing if Aston Villa, who are the favourites for it, end up going and winning that competition. If Arteta fails to win a trophy, you've got to look at the context around it. OK, if Arteta fails to win the Premier League because Manchester City come good again, the side that have 115 financial breaches hanging over their heads with the best manager probably of all time and one of the best squads of players of all time, a treble winning side, a history-making side, then I don't think that's a sackable offence. You've got to look at the context of the competition that you're in. If Jurgen Klopp, a manager who's been there, done it, won the Premier League, won the Champions League, etc., gets over the line ahead of Mikel Arteta, am I going to look at him and say, well, you know, Mikel, you've got no excuse. You know, you should be better than you. No, I'm going to apply context to it. Um, I, I don't laugh. I, I wasn't even laughing at Unai Emery. I was making the point that what his team did the other night at Old Trafford was completely wrong in terms of the approach. And actually, after taking a two-goal lead, had they implemented some of what David Moyes' side showed tonight, they'd have taken another three points and they'd be in an even better position than they're in. Ivan says, at what point does Arteta need to switch up this controlled approach? Sure, teams are sitting deeper, but our build-up is a lot slower than last year. That's been one of my frustrations, the speed of the build-up. There were times tonight, not many, but there were times, there were flashes where the tempo was just that bit higher and you could see that we were penetrating more. But yeah, the, the tempo thing is, is the big issue for me. 
Um, that's the big issue for me. Uh, what else have we got? Afsar Gunner says, in a night like this, we needed a strong target man up front like Giroud or Ivan Tony. I think we could have done with that. Um, but Gabriel Jesus isn't that. So people can't sit there and criticise Gabriel Jesus and say, well, he's not this. How about we talk about what he is? Someone who works incredibly hard. Someone who takes batterings pretty much every time he goes out on the pitch because he's always trying to get his toe to a ball. He's always trying to help it around the corner for someone. He's always trying to link up the play. He's always buzzing left and right to try and get other people involved in the game. You know, Gabriel Jesus has been a big part, as I said earlier, of why our level as a team has elevated. And we should support him and back him. And yeah, as I've said before, we could do with another profile of striker you could have even stuck Kai Havertz up front tonight at a point if you wanted to change it up and I think we might have actually done that had you know later on in the game for example we'd have pushed him up alongside Jesus but you know it's like saying oh well you know if I had Diego Maradona we'd win if I had Thierry Henry we'd win we don't have them um, we can look at what we need moving forward yes but if you think we're going to go and spend big big money in the January window on a centre forward I think you're going to be disappointed. I really do. I really do. Um, let me take uh, one more comment. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, just going back to that Jürgen Klopp point. Jay says, if Klopp wins the league ahead of us, Arteta has to go. They literally finished fifth last year and rebuilt their whole midfield and are better than us. How is that possible? Well, they've still got the same back line. They've still got Mohamed Salah. Um, they've still got Alisson in goal, Virgil van Dijk, key components of a title win inside. None of our boys are a title win inside. Um, and they've gone out and spent big money to fix their midfield. And, you know, they're, they're on an upward trajectory. Jurgen Klopp is also a far more experienced manager than Mikel Arteta. I, I think it's wild to say that if Jurgen Klopp achieves more than Arteta that that means Arteta's bad in what is fourth fifth year of management in comparison to Jurgen Klopp let's not pretend that Liverpool don't have any money that Liverpool don't spend any money that Liverpool don't still have more than half of a title winning side of a Champions League winning side I think you know it's inc incomparable really um the two situations I, I get what you're saying that Liverpool fell behind last season but how far behind were they actually? They had a really rotten start to the season. In the second half of the season, they got better, and you know they, you know they picked up some form. And it, it, just in the end, for them, it wasn't enough. But I just, yeah, I just think that um, people are overreacting off the back of one result. Um, Jay says, look, their entire defense has been injured. Come on, Harry, stop the copium, man. When are we allowed to say Arteta has to get over the line? You're allowed to say it, and you're allowed to think it. And you're allowed to bring up this conversation and this debate and make a strong point on it if, come the end of the season, we don't achieve what we've set out to achieve. How 19 games in, when we're just two points off the top, everybody is reacting like this and losing their minds and losing their heads, and it's as if the last 18, 24 months didn't happen in terms of Arsenal's progress, is beyond me. That's the bit I take issue with. Not with people saying that at some point Mikel has to get us over the line. Not with people saying that at some point we have to show more and we have to, you know, pip Manchester City or Liverpool. That's fine. You, you need ambition. You want ambition. The bit I can't get on board with is the 
we have an off night, we lose at home to West Ham, all of a sudden everything's wrong, everything's broken, as if the last 18 months hasn't been positive, as if Arsenal haven't made progress. And people earlier on were talking about the atmosphere inside the stadium. You know why the atmosphere inside the stadium is not what it was last season? I'll tell you why. Because people turn up there now expecting us to win. People turn up there now expecting that the game's going to be a foregone conclusion. That wasn't the attitude last season. People were turning up there and thinking, we're enjoying the ride. I'm loving this ride. You know, come on, let's keep it going. The team need us. We know they're not quite there yet. They need us and we could be that difference maker. We could be the ones that get them over the line by being the 12th man. People were turning up with that mindset, with that attitude. And the atmosphere as a result of it was incredible. I go there now. Everybody expects us to win. I was back in the North Bank tonight for, I think, only the second time this season. Um, You know, I've been working all the other games and I've been in the media section and I've not sat among the fans. Yeah, the atmosphere was poor. Um, The atmosphere was lacklustre at times. But that's because, again, you know, there wasn't that, you know, there wasn't that... (sighs) I don't know what the right word is. It it feels like there was a humbleness to the Arsenal fan base last season of like, we're on this incredible ride. We didn't think we'd be here, but man, what a ride this could be. And it could have the fairy tale ending. So let's get behind everyone and support them. This season it's, well, no, we, we did that last season. So now we should beat West Ham. And regardless of the part that we as fans play, um, you know, there was that moaning and groaning tonight when we lost the ball, when there was a pass misplaced. What team in world football doesn't misplace passes? And everyone's like, oh, oh, throwing their toys out of the pram every time Trossard gave the ball. If someone gives the ball away on the edge of their box and plays a stupid pass, I understand that. But like you're attacking, you're trying to thread the ball through the eye of an eagle. It doesn't come off, as will happen, um, you know, often when you try those kind of blockbuster passes. And everyone's throwing their arms up in the air, moaning, groaning. It was getting on my nerves tonight. I get that people are disappointed with the performance. I was disappointed with the performance. I'm disappointed with the result. I'm disappointed with the outcome. But none of that stuff helps. None of it helps. Anyway, I am going to leave it there. Um, Big thank you to uh, Robert Bailey, who says, Greetings from Texas. Proud to be an Arsenal fan. Thank you for staying up late and providing this great content. It is 1 a.m. I've got to be up at 6 a.m. So I'm going to love you guys and leave you. And I will be back um, on Saturday with some form of content. We'll be looking ahead, I'm uh, I'm guessing, to just trying to think in my head now. Yeah, we'll be looking ahead to the Fulham game and we'll cover whatever else needs covering at the time. Thank you all so much for joining me at this ungodly hour. And I will see you all on Saturday. Until next time, all the best. And uh, chins up. Don't be too downbeat because um, it is a one-off result. You know, generally, we've been pretty good this season. The only times we'd lost prior to this this season were up at Newcastle, where we were robbed. I think we can all agree. And away at Aston Villa, where I thought we were very, very unfortunate. There's no need to panic yet. So uh, don't get any in a twist. Chill. And uh, we'll speak soon. Until then, take care. Goodbye. (laughs) 